Good morning, church. I don't know if you're going to be happy about this announcement or sad about it, but um, we have only two more weeks left of this series on the kingdom. And I don't know, uh, I know sometimes the series goes on for a while and folks kind of go, okay, okay, I've had enough of that already. And sometimes uh, folks say, well, I don't know. Um, one, one sermon series in this church went long enough that there was a song written about it. At Christmas time, we went through the 12 days of church, and I had done a long series on Moses, and the, uh, the countdown went, 25 sermons on Moses. <laughs> <laughs> so you can imagine the rest of the song. It was actually quite fun. Um, but uh, we will be wrapping up the kingdom, this kingdom series next week. And uh, we haven't exhausted the things that are there. <laughs> we haven't touched on all of those 32 passages in, uh, in Matthew or, that talk about the kingdom of heaven. But I think you're getting an idea about what we're talking about. That Matthew is truly trying to help us understand something unique. He's trying to help us understand that where God is concerned, the rules are different. That everything in your world is upside down. When you add God into it, it changes everything. It changes the rules of the game. It changes everything there is to be changed. Um, I, I want to just throw in a, 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 one of those traditional references. The second angel of Revelation chapter 14 says, Babylon is fallen, is fallen. What is the point? None of the world's systems work for salvation. None of them. You know, man has been trying to invent God for a long, long time. From the very beginning, from the first time I think man walked away from God, they started saying, so well, now that we don't have God, what are we going to do? And their first substitute, and the one that we like the most, is ourselves. Lord, let me be in charge. I know what I'm doing. God, I've been praying to you for a long time about this, and if you just answer it the way I want it answered, things would go much better. And you can name the ways we do it, but that's always the first level. The second one is some inanimate object, usually. Rock, tree, planet, something out there. <clears throat> to which we give God-like status. And the Bible actually makes fun of these. Uh, we, don't, we don't look at the humor in Scripture for some of these things, but it actually makes fun of these things. It says, and you, woodcutter, you go out in the woods and you cut down a tree, and part of it you use for cook, you, to cook your bread, and the other part of it you carve up and make an idol and you bow down to it. Isaiah is basically saying, what's with that? But that is still, that is still the case. And we've always had the same system when we invent God. You'll recognize the system. <clears throat> it's a system where we get God to do what we want, which, by the way, makes us God. It's a nice little cyclical organization we have. And what, what Matthew is trying to tell us, what the Scripture is trying to say over and over and over again, is that none of those systems work. When you add God, really, truly add God into your life, it flips everything over changes everything. <clears throat> Today, we're going to talk about uh, Matthew chapter 7 for a bit. We'll bounce around a little, but you might want to just uh, 
stay home. It's the end of the Sermon on the Mount. If you open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7, you can kind of read around what I'm going to put on the screen. Um, but there are several elements there that I want to walk through today. Um, the first one I just want you to notice is that in order to be a part of the kingdom, you have to know the king. In order to be a part of the kingdom, you have to know the king. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Does that sound like a threat to you? Does it sound a little nerve-wracking to you? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Not everyone who claims to be a follower, not everyone who proclaims my name will actually enter the kingdom of heaven. Does that make you a little nervous? These are the kind of passages that make the church nervous because then we say, well, okay, well, then if that's the case, then I'm one of those people saying, Lord, Lord, how do I fix that? What do I have to do about that? What am I going to do? How do I get that churned around? How do I make sure that God lets me into the kingdom of heaven? You have to be careful at this, at this place in the, in the road, you have two options. The one God, the one God's leading you down and the one your natural tendencies will lead you down. And the one your natural tendencies will lead you down is there's got to be something I can do to make God save me. Right? Which, if I do that, I am now in control of what God is deciding, which means I am God. Follow? But there's another road, and that's the one I want to explore today. I want to walk down the road less traveled, perhaps. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying what? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, I know you've never heard this before. This is a revelation to you, but repent means if you're going in this direction and you repent, you turn around and you go in the opposite direction. You got that? Repenting just means you turn around. You go in the other direction. You know why? Because the direction you've been going in won't get you where you hope you're to go, hope to go. There's no there in that direction. You can't get there from here. You can't get there. The bridge is out. There's no way to get where you want to go if you continue in the same direction. So the idea is, if you turn around and go in the other direction, go in God's direction, you'll actually get to where you hope to go. You'll actually arrive where you hoped to arrive. Okay? So John comes up, and the first thing he says is, Hey, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is near. It's, it's close. It's at hand. Repent. Go the other direction. And so Jesus shows up a couple chapters later, and what does he say? From that time, after John was arrested, by the way, from that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent. Same word. Repent. You know what repent means? Repent means if you're going in this direction over here, and uh, you repent, you turn around, you go in the other direction. Because there's no there there, the bridge is out, you can't get where you want to go that way. There's no way to go where you want to go if you keep going in that direction. So you have to go in the other direction. Repent. People of the kingdom are going, therefore, in a different direction from the rest of the people. Everybody else is going off in their direction, and the people of the kingdom have chosen to go in God's direction. We talked about this last week. We talked about accepting Jesus and following him home, right? Accepting Jesus as Lord, accepting Jesus' sacrifice, accepting Jesus' blood as the covering and the cleansing of your sins, and following home. That's repent. Repent and be baptized. It's turn, follow me, and be baptized to declare that to the world. Repent. And be baptized is simply to accept God's leadership, to accept his covering, to accept the cleansing, and to follow him home. That's why we love that parable. That's why I shouldn't, I shouldn't, uh, I shouldn't assert that this is yours. But that's why I love the parable of the lost son. Because the father meets him way out there, far off, the Bible says, and walks him all the way back home. You can't find the kingdom of God by continuing to go in the direction you have chosen. 
You repent and go in the direction who has chosen. God has chosen. See, this takes care of the whole obedience cycle of discussions. This takes care of the whole obedience discussion because you're simply following God in the direction he has chosen for you. And obedience comes in all of that. It comes in the train of all of that. It doesn't change by your fiat, by your decision, by your behavior, God's feelings about you. It doesn't change God's intent for you. You've simply started following the one who is actually leading you to some place. Let me repeat that. You've simply started following the one who is actually leading you to some place. Because if you're wandering out there in the place you've chosen, you're just wandering. You're wandering out and there's no there in the direction you're going. There's no place to arrive. There's no arrival point. You're just wandering. But when you follow God, when you repent and turn around and choose to follow after him, you're naturally, you're naturally actually following someone who is leading you specifically home. Got it? The wheat and the weeds. The word in the scripture is the wheat and the tares, and sometimes we like that, but the problem is, where else do you use the word tares? Do you look at your lawn and go, oh, look, tares. You don't do that, right? You don't drive past a cornfield and say, oh, look, there are tares among the corn. Okay? We never use that word. So it's weeds. It's the, the plants that aren't supposed to be there. Weeds. The wheat and the weeds. The wheat and the weeds, not the wheat and the weed. That happens too, but that's not what we're talking about. That's usually in a cornfield as well. We're looking at wheat and weeds. Okay, the wheat and the weeds. Another parable he put forth to them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. So what did this guy do? You can answer when I ask a question. He sowed what kind of seed? Good seed in his field. What does that mean if he sowed good seed? It means he's expecting a crop of the seed that he planted. That he didn't sow weeds in his seed. Sow weeds in his field. He sowed the crop that he wanted to grow in his field, in his field, right? He sowed good seed in his field, not mixed seed, not messy seed. He sowed the appropriate good seed, carefully sifted all, all through the winter while he sat in his, so, sat in his house. He said, okay, that's a wheat. That's a weed. That's a wheat. That's a weed. And for hours and hours, he separated the good from the bad, good from the bad, the good from the bad, and he sowed the good. Sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares or weeds. Sowed weeds among the wheat and went on his way. So some guy, now picture what has to happen here. The guy goes out, he plows his field, he does all his work, he gets everything set, and he goes along and he casts the seed. Now, if you understand what they did, they would have a bag of seed. This was the way they did it for centuries. Have a bag of seed, they reach in the bag, and they cast the seed. And the person who was good at this could get a nice, even flow of growth on his fields. After a while, you just knew how to throw the right seed in the right way, so you didn't have a clump over here and nothing over there. He's just going to cast the seed on his field. Then some guy... Some enemy, some, some ne'er-do-well, some bad guy, somebody who you didn't want coming around visiting your field in the middle of the night, shows up and he sows bad seed among the wheat. Now, this is what happens actually out in some of those cornfields. Some people sneak out in the cornfield after the corn's grown up a little bit and they sow weed among the wheat. They really do. People do this around California. They'll go out into the cornfields out in the... Out in the, the world, out, out in the woods somewhere, out where it's distant from everybody. Go kind of find one of those places out around uh, the sloughs, out in the, the delta or some distant field. And they'll go and they'll 
sow inappropriate seeds among the corn, and then they'll go back before the corn is harvested and harvest their own crop while the farmer waters and fertilizes and takes care of it for them. Okay? So this guy sows weeds among the man's corn. You've got to be pretty pretty bad dude to do this. I don't know what kind of person does that sort of thing. When the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, the weeds appeared. So this, you know, he goes out there before anything really starts to grow. And when everything starts to sprout and you look at it, all of a sudden, among the, among the, the field of the wheat come these odd-looking plants that aren't supposed to be there. You realize a weed is just a plant in the wrong place, right? A weed is a plant in the wrong place. And so these weeds might have been good for something, but they weren't good for his field. I was just uh, noticing up at camp meeting, they have uh, several acres, and they often will they'll give this or rent this uh, acreage out to farmers. And this year they've rented it out to somebody who is growing hay. He's growing alfalfa. And alfalfa is kind of a broad leaf looking little thing. It's not very tall. But out there in the midst of the, t- the alfalfa are these nice tall flowers with yellow, yellow flowers on top of them. It's, it's somebody sowed that, sowed that little seed that you throw into the corner of your garden and it grows up and first it's knee high and then waist high, waist high and then shoulder high and it becomes a tree and the birds land in it. Somebody's got mustard seed in the midst of this guy's fields. And it's all over the place. And whoever buys that alfalfa for his horses is going to be a little disappointed, particularly in the first cut. Weeds pop up among the crop. So the servants of the owner of the field said to him, Sir, do you not, did you not sow good seed in your field? Don't you like this question? What did you do, man? Didn't you sow good seed? Why are there weeds in here? Why are there weeds in our field? How does, it, how does this field have tares in it? He said to them, An enemy has done this. An enemy has done this. The servant said to him, Do you want us to go and gather them up? So the servants say, hey, we can go pull the weeds. It's best while they're little. We'll just go pull all the weeds right now. Go out in the field, pull all the weeds. So the, the master said, no, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let both of them grow together until the harvest. And at the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather together the tares and bind them in bundles and burn them and gather the wheat into my barn. See, there's going to be a time when it's appropriate to pull the weeds, but right now, don't pull the weeds because you might disturb the plants. Okay? Kingdom of Heaven is like a guy who went out and sowed seed in his field. When he sowed the seed in his field, somebody came along and sowed weeds among it. And then his servant said, hey, let us pull the weeds. And he said, no, don't do, don't do that. Don't pull the weeds or you might disturb the wheat as well. You know, sometimes, according to the scripture, there are weeds growing in the field that God has planted. You know what the problem is? You don't really know if the wheat growing next to the weed will be disturbed and lose its way because of the weed you pulled. So the, har- the, the Lord of the harvest said, let them, let them grow together and I'll take care of it at the end. Just let them grow. Let them grow together and I'll take care of it at the end. So one of the things we have to learn, we have to recognize about the kingdom is that there will be weeds in the field. Right? Are we willing to deal with that? Willing to accept that as normal. That's our normal. That's our normal for the kingdom of heaven. There will be weeds in God's field. Okay? So don't look at your neighbor now. This is a bad time. 
Don't, don't, don't look around the church for that person. Is the weed guy here? Okay. You know what's amazing about God? Weeds can be converted. So don't mess with the weeds. He may have a plan. Just accept, just accept the fact that both will be present. Easy enough? Okay. So piece of the, piece of the puzzle today, weeds will be in the field, in God's field. Who's a weed? And the second question is the hard one. Am I a weed? Am I? Which one of these am I? Because Jesus said both are going to be present, and here we are. We're present. Now you can look around at your neighbors. The Lord of the harvest gets to decide. But you ever wonder if you were the weed? Not the wheat? Matthew chapter 7, 13 and 14. Enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to what? Destruction. Now we preachers, we go off on this one. Wide is the way that leads to destruction. We like to talk to you about that. We like to say, look, if you go through that wide gate, things are bad are going to happen. That's the gate everybody else is going through. You know how we know which one's the right gate? Pretty simple. You're going in this direction. And that, there's no there in that direction. There's no end that you want to get to. And there's no, there's no place where you want to arrive in that direction. And God said, repent and follow me. That's the narrow gate. That's it. Every other lane of the freeway is going in the same way and it's not a good direction. And he said, oh, wait, 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 take this exit and follow me. That's all this is. He said, most everybody you know has made a choice to follow themselves off into destruction. And I'm telling you, go, go the other direction. Go through the narrow gate. Follow after me. Broad is the way that leads to destruction. There are many who go by it because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who what? You know why they can't find it? Looking for it in the wrong road. I have a cousin who had a difficult... I shouldn't have said it was a cousin. I have a friend <laughs> who had a difficult first marriage. And uh, really didn't go well. There were some bad things that went on in their, in their relationship. And then he started dating and he kept having the same kind of trouble with the same kind of girl over and over again. And he said, I don't understand it. Why can't I find a nice girl? I said, it's because of where you're looking. It's harder. Not impossible. But it's much harder to find the girl you're looking for. In the bar, you're going to look for her. There are a few sprinkled out there, but they're a lot harder to find. These people are having trouble finding the gate because they're on the road that doesn't lead to the gate. Gate's not out there. Understand that where you look makes a big impact on what you find. You know, if I go looking for my razor in my wife's makeup bag, I find it about 1 in 30 or 40 times. If I go looking for my razor in the drawer where I usually keep it, 
I find it almost every time. Where you look makes a big impact on what you find. You know why folks are having trouble finding this gate? Because they're not on the path where the gate is. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, (coughs) he will be saved. And go in and out and find pasture. Who's the gate? Jesus is. And if he's not on the road where you've been looking, not going to find him. Beware of false prophets who come in sheep's clothing, but are inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their what? Fruits. Throughout this passage, as chapter 7 is wrapping up, and he's beginning to talk about the kingdom of heaven, he starts to make warnings as he does. He says, there's this narrow gate. You're not going to find that gate on any other road. You've got to follow after me to find this gate. In fact, I am the gate into the right path. I am the one who's leading you in the right direction. I am the only gate. All the rest of those things, as chapter 14 of Revelation, second angel said, all the rest of the world systems, Babylon is fallen. All the rest of the world systems don't work. I don't care which one's your favorite. Self-help books, they work a little bit. Most people who read self-help books are a little better than they were before. But you know what they don't do? They don't get you to heaven. They don't get the kind of heart transformation in your life that gets you going in the direction of following after God. Because I can sometimes change my behavior just by willpower. Changing my heart? You're not getting that kind of change from a self-help book. It doesn't really matter what process we're looking for unless we're following after God. We're not going to get there. But beware of those who are false prophets. So now we know two things. There will be weeds growing up among the wheat. And there will be prophets who aren't telling us the truth. Right? Does that scare you? It makes me a little nervous. Because... There are lots of folks out there proclaiming lots of stuff. Now, some of it I look at on late night TV and I go, okay, yeah, that's, that's baloney. It's easy to spot some baloney. However, some of it doesn't look so baloney-ish. Some of it, and if it's late enough sometimes, <laughs> that Ginsu knife just might be the thing I need. I think it's on late night TV for a reason, by the way, because our defenses are down. And I worry about any preacher who's on late night TV. Why are you on late night TV, man? And maybe you're just out there because you say, hey, there are people in late night who need to hear something besides a sales pitch. So maybe that's where you're there, but it worries me a little. Scripture says there will be weeds among the wheat, and it says there will be some people who step up to lead who you shouldn't follow. But then he simply says, but you'll know who they are. So with the weeds and the wheat, the servants could recognize the weeds, but the master said, let, just wait, just wait, just wait. I'll deal with that at the end. And let's not forget that the miracle, miracle working power of God can change weeds to wheat. But he said, you're going to recognize some of these false prophets. You'll recognize them by the fruit. You'll know them by their fruit. 
You see, there's, there's a person who's walking down the road in this direction. And God speaks into their ear and says, repent. And they turn around. And when they turn around, fruit changes. There are differences in their life. They don't lie to you as much. They might lie to you, but it's not as common. It's true. You and I both know it. Believers lie. Hopefully less than everybody else. But it's true. You know, you're going to be able to trust them a little more. You're going to be able to believe in them a little more. Their, their life is going to demonstrate a certain change. And then we get to the meat of the passage I want to most share with you. But I want you to see it with those other two in mind. There are weeds among the wheat and there are people who aren't speaking for God who claim to be. And in both cases, God knows. And in both cases, he's got it. And then he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does what? The will of my father. Now, what is the will of God? Hasn't that been part of your search for your whole life? Haven't you been asking this question? Those of you who have been trying to follow God, haven't you been asking this question? Lord, if you would just show me what your will is, I'd do that. If you would just open the book, if you just flash something in the sky, I don't care how you do it. Look, I'll throw open my Bible, put my finger down and declare that your will. You'll throw open your Bible, you put your finger down and it makes no sense. I didn't ask you that question. Could you just go yes or no? And he says, no, that's what the Ouija board is for. I don't deal with that kind of stuff. The devil goes, yes or no. I go, let's talk about this. If you're going in that direction and it leads to nowhere, if you will just repent, turn around, follow after me, I will lead you where you want to go. Every believer I know is looking for that answer to that question. What is the will of the Father? Right? Second Timothy chapter 2, verse... Two or Second Timothy chapter two verse nineteen. God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are His. Are you, are you with me so far? And I want you to stop there. I put that and in red. I put it in bold. I put it in italics and I underlined it. I'd like to emphasize the and. But God's firm foundation stands bearing his seal. The Lord knows those who are his. Is that true? So the wheat and the tares grow up and there are weeds among the wheat and the God, know, God knows the wheat from the weeds, correct? Who's going to resolve the problem of the weeds growing up among the wheat at the end of time? God is. He's going to gather the weeds over here and the wheat over there. He's got the thing figured out. He says there are false prophets who will rise up among you. You'll know them by their fruit. You'll understand by looking at their life who they really are. Is it your problem to eliminate false prophets? Nope. Because God knows his people and he knows who's not. He holds the servants of the of men, messengers to his church in his right hand. Guess who's not in his right hand? The false prophet, right? They're just not in there. He'd like to convert them and get them in there, but they're not in there. There are those who he knows and those who he knows are not his. He knows those who are his children. And, and, I want you to see the end because this sentence gets written as if there's no end in it. It gets quoted as if there's no end in it. 
God knows those who are His. Let everyone who names the name of, the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. And you know what people say? Therefore, you know what the firm foundation of God's will is? Those who don't do anything bad. You know what the problem with that is? Nobody can do it. How are you doing with it? I know a man who believed very, very strongly that someday he would be absolutely perfect. That someday he would be absolutely perfect. And there are folks around who still believe that. You know whose problem that is, right? Whose problem is it? It's God's problem. If God wants me to be perfect before he comes, will he do that? What is the only thing standing in his way? Me. So what is my daily daily job if God is going to transfer me and make me perfect someday? Surrender to his will. Right? If he plans on me being perfect, every day I surrender to God's will. If he gets me perfect, great. If he doesn't intend for me to be perfect, you know what my job is? Surrender to his will. Every day I surrender to his will. And at the end of time, if I'm not perfect, you know what the deal is? I didn't have to be. But I'm telling you right now, you look around at your neighbors, you can look at them right now. There's not a perfect person in this building, including me. You know how I know? Because I know. God knows those who are his children and... And you know how you'll recognize his children? Because they used to walk off in this direction, and there was no there in that direction. The bridge was out, and there was no way to get what they were hoping to go. And he said, go the other way, and they went the other way. Let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. I was walking along the road named iniquity, and the Lord said, take the exit that departs from the road that leads to iniquity, the road that is called iniquity, and follow me. You know what departing from iniquity means? It means you've turned and gone in the other way in your life. You're attempting to follow God and all the obedience things come in that decision. Okay? I know I teach you this a lot and I know I go over this information a lot, but I need to because you're going to read a passage like this and you're going to come across it and you're going to say, okay, then I have to be perfect. I have to get my stuff together. I have to be absolutely right because the Lord knows those who are his. Let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. And you skip the and. And you think that the way God knows those who are his is because they look so great. Because they're awesome. Because they're perfect. Because they've never done anything wrong. They're beautiful. And you look at yourself in the mirror and you said, I'm not one of God's. I now know that I'm one of the weeds. And because of the failure of that person in the mirror, you give up on following God. And you go back to the road where the bridge is out. And there's no salvation. There's no heaven. There's no going home with God at the end of that road. And it's the devil's conniving to get the people of God away from following after God. Now, am I saying, and I have been accused of this, that if you walk this way and you turn around and you start following after God, that you don't have to obey You don't have to attempt to follow him. You don't have to give over your will to his will. You don't have to do what he's asking. Does that sound like anything I've said so far? 
I'm saying you follow after God and let him lead you to the changes he wants in your life. That's the life. You've got a bad temper. You've got bad habits. You've got a a bad attitude. You've got a lying tongue. You're a manipulative person. Do you think God would like you to keep all that? No. Because he would like the people who are walking on the path toward him to be good examples to the other people who are walking on the path toward iniquity. And somebody will look at them and say, I don't know what you guys are doing, but I want to go the direction you're going. You see, the kingdom of God, represented by the people in the kingdom, displays the nature of the king. And many will say to me in that day, what day is that? What's the that day? It's referring to the end. That day. We don't know when that day is. It's this general term that says, hey, there's going to come a day when it's all going to end. And then that day, when that day comes, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, we, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, name, done many wonders in your name? Now, honestly, if you saw somebody who was growing up among the wheat, here's some people, the wheat growing up, right? And somebody is casting out demons in the name of God and somebody is prophesying in the name of God. Somebody's doing miracles in the name of God. Wouldn't you look at them and say, wheat, definitely wheat. Wouldn't you? I would. I'd be thinking, man, that's got to be wheat. That lady's wheat for sure. And you know what the Bible says? You know what the text says? It says, you know, you cannot decide who is following God by their behavior. Even if it's very impressive behavior. This is pretty impressive stuff. But he's saying, man, people will prophesy and they'll be false prophets. People will proclaim God's name and cast out demons and they will be casting out demons by the power of Satan. People will be doing miracles and wonders and they will not be followers of God. Many will come to me saying, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done wonders in your name? In that day, people will come saying, look at all the great stuff I did. (coughs) Lord, I donated money to the United Way every week. I saved the children and the puppies. And every time one of those commercials came on late at night with those those little puppies with the flies in their eyes, I gave money to that. And they'll say, Lord, Lord, I save puppies in your name. Every time I sent a check, I made sure I wrote in the memo from a Christian so they would know. <laughs> Saving the puppies in the name of God. Lord, I, I supported the church. I gave money to the pastor's t-shirt fund every week. And our pastor had lots of t-shirts, Lord. I saw them. And every time I wrote my check, I wrote in there uh, from a Christian so they would know it was in your name. Lord, look at all the cool stuff I did in your name. You know what the next line is? So you got to let me in. Right? Am I, be- am, am, am I opposed to people doing miraculous things in the name of God? No. I'm just trying to make it clear that it was not a behavioral-based decision in God's economy. 
And Jesus makes it so clear by saying, look at these amazing things people are claiming to do in my name. And that's not the will of my father. It's not what I'm asking. Some itinerant Jewish exorcists. Now there is a line to start a book with. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists. You can go almost anywhere with that book. You think, opening chapter, chapter one. Then some itinerant Jewish exorcists. Okay, here we go, buckle up. Undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by Jesus whom Paul proclaims, and the seven sons of a Jewish high priest, Sceva, were doing this. So who are these guys? Seven sons of a high priest named Sceva are out there saying, in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, you guys leave, you bad guys, you bad demons. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man who was the... who. The man who was the evil spirit and the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them. How many were there? Seven. This guy went a little kung fu crazy on these guys, mastered all of them, overpowered them. And so they fled out of the house naked and bleeding. Here's somebody claiming the name of Jesus and claiming the authority of Paul and trying to do what they were doing without a relationship with the one doing it. Ever really tried to get yourself better? Ever really tried to say, okay, I am going to not sin today. Get up in the morning, grit your teeth, put your shoes on and say, not today. And fail miserably before you got out of the bedroom? It's because you don't have the authority to do that. You don't have the power to do that. The authority and the power are vested in Christ Himself and in your relationship with Him and your surrender in Him and your followership of Him. That's where those transformations take place. Jesus said, many will come to me saying, haven't we done all these cool things in your name? And I will declare to them, I never what? I never knew you. Depart from me, those of you who practice lawlessness. He said, you know, you guys were trying to do all this amazing stuff. And you and the seven sons of Sceva were out there trying to do all this stuff. But you never had a relationship with me. You were never walking with me. You were, you were still walking off on the path of your own choosing and claiming my name. And remember the first step in the path of following me is that step that says, turn around, go in a different direction and follow after me. And we'll take care of the growth process. We'll take care of sanctification. We'll take care of transformation as you walk the path along with me. Follow after me and I'll take care of the transformation and the authority and the, and the things that you want changed in your life. I'll take care of it. My acceptance of you is not based on your deeds. It's based on your direction. God's acceptance of you is not based on your deeds. It's based on your direction. 
God's acceptance of you is not based on your deeds. It's based on your direction. God's acceptance of you is not based on your deeds. It's based on your direction. You were walking along and you were going the wrong direction. There were bridge was out in that direction. There was no there in that direction. There was no salvation in that direction. There was no hope in that direction. And he said, repent, turn around, Follow after me and I will take care of transformation. You just keep going in my direction. I will take care of transformation. Just keep going in my direction because it's not your deeds I'm concerned about. It's your direction I'm concerned about. Follow me and I will lead you home. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me and I will transform your life. Follow me, follow me, follow me home. Because it's the only way to get home. Not concerned about your deeds. I'm concerned about your direction. If you go in this direction, I will take care of the deeds. I will take care of it. You see, the economy of God is completely different from any kind you've ever seen before. The kingdom of heaven has different rules. And the people who are following after God are following a different set of rules. They're getting up in the day and they're saying, hey, where do you want to go today, God? What do you want to do? What can I do for you? How can I, how can I follow you? How can I serve you today? What, what would you like for me to do? And that's how their life works. And they're walking along and they walk out into the kitchen. They're a little bleary-eyed still. And, uh, and there was food in the fridge. And they go, God, thank you that there's food in the fridge. That's amazing. You know how many people open their fridge? There's nothing here. Thank you. My life's been different since I've been following you. There was different things in my fridge now. It's cool. And they make themselves some breakfast and they sit down at their table and they rip, fold their hands and they say, thank you for what's in front of me, God. Thank you for the gift that you've given me in this simple plate. And they get up from there and they get in their car and they drive off to work. And they see a crash on the side of the road and they don't, say, they don't just say, oh, man, I hate it when people crash. They slow me down. Instead, they say, Lord God, please bless and care for those people. You know why? Different road. Different day because of a different road. And you, you don't get merit for saying thank you for your food. You get a reminder that you should be thankful for your food. If you don't get merit for writing an offering check... You get a reminder that you need, to, you need help with your, with your selfishness. You don't get merit for praying for somebody who's in need. You give access to the power and authority of God in their life. It's a different road with different rules. And the big deal is, did you know the king? Jesus said, he who enters the, by the door is the shepherd to the sheep. And to him the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them and the sheep follow him because they've heard this voice before. If somebody else tries to leave them, they flee. He knows his sheep and they know his voice. The kingdom of heaven 
is like a flock of sheep. And when the master calls out for them to follow, they follow. And that's that. Let's pray. Lord God, we choose your will today. We choose to surrender our authority in our lives. We choose to follow you. Thank you that you've made provision to get us home. In Jesus' name, amen.